Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino. Now, here's your host, Dave Wyman. Hey, big voice guy said my name. Nice. I've been waiting for this my whole radio career. It's Hawks Live. We're at the Snoqualmie Casino. Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus. Usually we'll have Paul Moyer with us. And Bump, good to have you up here, man. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. This is only like my second time here at the Snoqualmie Casino. It's very grand. I see the big beams and stuff. It feels like Vegas, so um, I'm feeling lucky. This place is beautiful. It's a nice drive out here. So come on out and check out the show. It's just a beautiful restaurant, Vista, we just went into. It has a great view and good cheeses there good apparently cheeses, yeah. i don't know if you're a cheese guy not a cheese guy i almost i almost grabbed a piece but i decided not to yeah i, I thought i heard you uh order a craft single but <laughs> yeah there's brie and all those other goat cheese fancy things hey tonight on the show uh myself and michael bumpus we're going to talk to jeff hobson from bingles.com and then at 7 30 quentin jefferson defensive lineman he's going to join us on the phone 7 45 we've got the professor john clayton and then later on uh taylor jacobs is going to go head to head with Dwayne brown it's a video game matchup and this will be interesting to listen to just because uh you you play video games with guys this is what the kids are doing bump i don't really play the video games that much no i I know you're a coach you probably don't have much time no i don't play much my kids are getting into video games now i have a nine-year-old who's obsessed with madden so i'll sit and watch and and chime in every now and yeah. then, but I, I leave it. I leave it for the kids. But there's lots of uh, things said to one another when people play games, yes. and sometimes it's uh, smack talking things like that. But no, it'll be cool to hear Dwayne Brown, uh, and I'm sure Taylor Jacobs is quite the gamer, so he may actually work Dwayne Brown a little bit here. But uh, if if it was any other thing, I think Dwayne Brown would win. <laughs> he's he's a big human being, but. Bump, let's get. I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about the Seahawks and uh, some of the surprising moves, first of all, and then you know certainly the and Clowney thing takes the cake. But that that's a huge move, and we're going to talk a little bit about the genius of John Schneider at eight o'clock and some of the things that he's done as far as turning picks into more picks and trades and stuff like that. But um, as far as you know, just watching these guys go through camp and you know you were part of it too and every year there's something that surprises you but I, I felt like a lot of uh, a lot of the moves this year especially the cuts were pretty surprising w- which one stood out to you uh, the main one that stood out to me initially was the drum brown cut um, obviously he got re-signed but going into uh, the final cut day I just knew he was going to be on the scene there was no way that he was going to get cut so when I saw he got cut I was confused I saw a tweet he tweeted on uh, online saying hey thank you Seattle I showing love and appreciation but then they ended up signing him so um which is good because i was nervous for a bit you need another veteran in that receiver room you got tyler lockett a bunch of rookies around him i think with brown that just brings some maturity to that room which they'll need in in tough games you know how it goes you look to your veterans in those situations so other than that um a move that surprised me uh it kind of didn't didn't was cj pro his play surprised me and then he found his way on the team i think the first three weeks of the preseason uh we didn't think he was going to be on the squad then he goes out and he performs and that just shows the nfl is a what have you done for me lately type league and he balled out in the preseason game uh so he's on the squad yeah I, you know i've forgotten about the cj pro move too for for me it was austin calitro Yes. Who played? I mean, he was the hero of preseason, yes. but you know, he kind of caught got caught in the wash of of numbers because they're really heavy at linebacker right now. The yeah. first three are Michael Kendricks, Bobby Wagner, K. 
K.J. Wright. And later on, we'll talk about Jadavia and Clowney, I promise, and maybe whether they have the best front seven in the NFL. But Calitro just played as well as you can play. Just He took the job by the throat. It's yeah. like, this is my job. And then he ends up getting cut. And I think the thing that happened there was that he is a really good linebacker, not a great special team player. Mm-hmm. Shaquem Griffin is a great special team player, and he has tons of speed. So... Austin Kalitra probably was not going to get on the field, unfortunately. Hopefully he gets on the field for, for Jacksonville. But I think he's a starting linebacker in this league. So him, you know, Cassius Marsh, J.D. McKissick, you know, I mean, and I'd forgotten about the ProSize thing. C.J. ProSize, I mean, a lot of people frustrated with him. But one thing I would say about him, Bump, since you brought him up, when he makes his moves, when he's setting up blocks, when he's setting up tacklers, I feel like his burst, everything, he's as good as anybody in the NFL when he's on. No, I agree with you. You see a burst, you see a shiftiness, and he just looks confident and relaxed. And that's surprising because he's missed, what, one out of every three games that he could have played in his career. So for him to go out and just look so comfortable, he looks like a number one running back. So with him being added on to the roster, that running back core looks really solid. And um, I'm happy for him, man. I can only imagine how frustrating it was for three or four years, injury after injury. And uh, that shows the loyalty of Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They saw something in him that we weren't able to see just because we weren't in form on a Sunday. So um, that just shows what he does in practice. Practice matters. That's what I learned um, from this offseason, that what you do in practice matters because Gary Jennings didn't flash during the preseason, right. but yep. he had a couple good practices. Um, Malik Turner d- didn't practice. Uh, flash during the preseason, but he has some good practices. So that lets you know that the Hawks organization, they look deeper into the process. They don't just look to see what you sh- uh, they show on TV on a preseason game. Um, it's how they carry themselves and how they practice day to day. Yeah, and you brought that up, how they carry themselves. I mean, they talk to everybody in the building about how does this guy treat the equipment manager, mm-hmm. the guys up in the cafeteria, everything like that. But also, uh, it just brings home that coaches see a lot more than we see. I mean, they're, they're looking at practice film. They're looking about how the guy goes through his day, what kind of a professional he is. But the biggest news by far and the biggest shocking thing was the trade for Jadavian Clowney. And we'll talk about it at 8 o'clock. John Schneider and what an unbelievable job he did with that and, and also in the draft. But, it, you know, it's funny, Bump. Jadavian Clowney, I've, I've looked at him going, yeah, the guy's a disruptive player. As an individual, he's a problem. Yeah. Like, if you're an opposing offense, you have to plan for that guy. You have to have an extra meeting for that guy. But I was looking at the front seven, and I guess I didn't think – I'm not sure if I, if I thought there was anything that could happen that could make this the best front seven in the league. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it comes together. You bring in Jadavian Clowney, and we'll, when Jaron Reed gets back. Yes. But you've got Puna Ford, who him and Michael Kendricks will talk about a little bit later, but – I think those two guys are maybe the underdog, really good guys. But you got Bobby, you got KJ, you got great depth at linebacker, and now all of a sudden you got Ziggy Ansa, you got Puna Ford, you got Jaron Reed when he comes back. I think El- Al Woods would be the guy in the meantime, and you got Jadavian Clowney. Is this the best seven in the NFL? I I think it's up for argument. I can't. I you know I saw this question and I started thinking. I started doing some research, and I can't think of a front seven that is that, that has the potential to be dominant up front and is already dominant on that second level. And you add a guy like Clowney. Um, I heard Pete Carroll talking. It's like it's almost you're adding, adding the same person. You got Ansel on one side. You got Clowney on the other side. They're super long. They're t- 
tall. They're quick off the ball. And then the wild card, Puna Ford. I think he he's really what makes this thing go. You're going you're gonna to count on that interior lineman to kind of put the initial pressure on that quarterback. And then you back him up with Bobby Wagner, who's a class act, all pro, has led the league in tackles. I don't know how many years. K.J. Wright, who's solid. Michael Kendricks. And I think the... The Hawks really hit on that Michael Kendricks thing. Um, yeah. Good job picking him up, and we got lucky with all his situation. It looks like he's going to be okay. So it's an argument for sure, on paper at least. I think the first week or two, we'll really see what we're made of. Um, I heard Danny O'Neill talk. He talked about the over-under for sacks between Clowney and Ansa being around 16. At first, I'm like, well, he's 8-8. Eight eight. Um, we talk about yeah. the, the 2013 Hawks, who I think their highest sack leader was around 8. So I think eight and a half, yeah, it was Michael half. Bennett. Yeah, if you can right? get eight from those guys on the edge and, sure. and by committee in the middle, man, looks good on paper, but you know how it goes, man. Let's see what happens on Sunday. Yeah, um, Bump, I'm glad you're here because wide receivers, you were a wide receiver, and you look at this group right now, not many resumes. I mean, Tyler Lockett has a resume. Jerron Brown, you could say, has a resume, although I don't think he ever had over 500 yards. I love Jerron Brown, and I think they – I think they saw something in him last year. He did everything they asked. I think he's going to be used a lot more. But how about this uh, this group that uh, mostly unproven guys just kind of going on where they project? Yeah. Um, this, who, do you, who do you like? I, I mean, John Rasour, I think that's the name we're hearing um, time in and time out. And what I like about him is he's, he seems composed. You know, all of his catches during the preseason, most of them have been up the seam, working in the slot, getting past the second level, and finding space on the field. And usually that's tough for young receivers is to find the space and not just run the route, not just do what the play says to do on paper, but to fill the route, to fill the defense, and to get yourself open as opposed to just running the route. And then his hands. He has great hands and he's confident. I watch him run his routes. He does things at the top of his route. So when it's time to break, some guys say, hey, we're going to run a 10-yard and in. Some guys run 10 yards. They go flat. They go in. At the top of his 10 yards, he's giving a wiggle. He's bursting yeah. to the safety. Then he's going in. So the fact that he's mixing up his route running just shows that he's extremely comfortable out there. And then we go to DK. I mean, I think DK has the potential to be exactly what we need him to be. It's just a downfield threat. We don't need much from him. People shouldn't expect DK to have 45 to 50 catches at the end of the season. Get about 20, 25, 4 or 5 touchdowns, and that's a win because Locke is going to hold it down, and it's going to be by committee. And then Jerome Brown in the red zone. He was great for us in the red zone early. It's just I like the mix of the guys we have in there. We have the deep ball threat, quick guy, deep ball. I mean, Got everything we need right now in this receiving core, I believe. That's good to hear because Russell Wilson, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the Seahawks' week one opponent from Jeff Hobson. He works for Bengals.com. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, you're listening to Hawks Live at the Snoqualmie Casino. Just absolutely beautiful up here. Right now, we really appreciate Jeff Hobson from CincinnatiBingles.com jumping on the line. I know it's a little later back there for you, Jeff, but thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, we talked to somebody from Cincinnati earlier in the day. Uh, I want to hear about Andy Dalton because, you know, I understand everything about him. He seems like a franchise quarterback. He's a really nice guy. I remember the thing at uh, the All-Star softball game where he got booed. What's the what's the view of Andy Dalton in Cincinnati? Well, I you know, I know what the view of him is in the building. 
I'm not quite sure I understand what the view of them is outside. I think they're down on him because he hasn't won a playoff game. Yeah. But in the building, he's regarded as one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league. The guy's won 58% of his games. He's taken them to five playoffs. They've won two divisions. He's uh, got more game-winning drives than anybody but uh, Matthew Stafford since he's been in the league. Uh, he gives back to the community. I don't know what more the guy can do to become popular except win a playoff game. Yeah, and I just I always see that as you know he's kind of a tragic character because you know kind of like Matthew Stafford, he does a really good job and just have nothing good. I've never heard anything bad about Andy Dalton, but you know I know people want results in the NFL, and it's uh, it's just when he broke tough. his thumb when he broke his thumb the first time. He had a winning percentage of 650. Uh, right? And then since he's broken his thumb that first time, they've changed the offensive line. A.J. Green's missed uh, about 20 games. Tyler Eifert's barely played. Uh, so, you know, it, this, this deal isn't about Andy Dalton. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Michael Bumpus. I want to ask you about Zach Taylor, first-year head coach. He has a resume of being a quarterback coach. Um, is he changing the culture in that building, and what do you think his relationship with uh, with Andy Dalton is like so far? Oh, he's got a great relationship with Dalton, Mike. He's got a uh, uh, he's got a veteran quarterback who can walk right in and execute what he wants done. And uh, I think Zach plays that scheme in Los Angeles. It plays exactly into Andy's strengths. Get the ball out of his hand. Different formations, different motions. Uh, and it's based on the run. Andy's at his best when they're running the ball and he's in play action, and that's what this offense does. Uh, and I think what Zach's done, Zach's done a great job getting people to buy into the offense. You know, you talk to the Stars, you talk to Dalton, you talk to Green, you talk to Mixon, you talk to Eifert. They love what the guy's doing. He's creative. He doesn't mind going out of the box. And I, I think in the uh, preseason that showed, uh, Eifert... Uh, didn't have a catch. A.J. Green and uh, John Ross didn't play. Joe Mixon had one carry. And he still, you know, he was throwing to Mo Larry and Curley. And he uh, got the, well, I shouldn't say that. He was throwing to better guys than that, obviously. But he was throwing to, he wasn't throwing to his stars. And he still completed 68% of his passes and uh, eight yards per throw. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think people are buying into this deal. The people in the locker room. Talking to Jeff Hobson from CincinnatiBengals.com. Hey, Jeff, tell us uh, somebody on the team maybe that uh, that you would know about that other people in, around the nation wouldn't know about. A couple of couple of names, guys that, that really shined in camp that were maybe a little bit of a surprise that aren't like the front-line name guys. Well, I think a guy who's been vastly – I'll give you two guys, one on offense, one on defense. One guy who's – coming off a career low in touches, who I think is going to really be a star in Taylor's offense, running back Gio Bernard, Giovanni Bernard. Uh, the guy is uh, he's 5'9", he's 205 pounds. He, uh, he's not afraid of being physical. He's quick. He can kill you. He, he, can score, uh, he can score on a big play. He can hurt you in the flat. The guy's, the guy's a good runner and a good receiver, and I think he's got the perfect multiple skills for Zach's offense. On defense, number 58, Carl Lawson. He's a pass rushing end. As a rookie two years ago, you couldn't, couldn't block him. Eight and a half sacks. 
last year, uh, tore his ACL, uh, came back in the preseason, and he looks as good as ever, if not stronger. Uh, the guy's the guy's a beast on the edge. He's just uh, he gets under. He's just a hard guy to get under. He's got uh, terrific uh, body lean. He gets underneath everybody. Uh, I think he guys guys uh, really a threat. And I'm sure those you know those are two names. Those are not two household names. Giovanni, Giovanni running back Giovanni Bernard and uh, right hand Carl Lawson. How about Geno Atkins, uh, Jeff? I mean, this is a guy that uh, double-digit sacks. I know he plays on the inside. It's so tough to get sacks on the inside. Uh, wh- what does he mean to that defense? Who, who's the Who are the leaders on that defense? He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he's obviously a leader just because, you know, a guy goes to seven Pro Bowls. That's the most of anybody in the history of the Bengals' defense. Uh, you know, obviously he's, he leads by example. He's not a great talker. I think he stopped talking to the media about four Pro Bowls ago. He's been opening up to his teammates. I think since Nick Eason got the job as a D-line coach, I think he's opened up a little bit. He was elected captain for the first time in his 10-year career on Monday. I think he'll, you know, so I think he'll, he'll have a little bit more of a vocal role. But obviously, Gio's a leader. Sean Williams is a safety. You know, the guy who had been a leader for so long. You know, Vontez Perfect, just because of his, uh, you know, he's he's gone. He's in Oakland, breaking up fights. Uh, and they've got to get a, you know, they have to turn to a guy. I, you know, I think Sean Williams, the safety, is a guy they count on. Preston Brown, their middle linebacker, two years removed from leading the league in, tack, in tackles in Buffalo. Um, I think an emerging guy, an emerging leader, is a second-year guy out of Ohio State, Sam Hubbard. Uh, who's uh, a uh, uh, guy who, who who can do anything? He's one of these guys. He's a fullback on the goal line. Uh, kind of, he ends up playing safety in a hail mary uh, when they were, they were defending a hail mary. Guy can do anything. Um, so you know they're kind of in a transition. You know, with the new coaching staff, that kind of you look to new guys. I think a, a guy number thirty, Jesse Bates, in safety, is a guy that's emerging over there as a leader uh, too. So, uh, uh, but you know, it's a different look. You know, it's not the They've transitioned from the from the Vontez perfect Michael Johnson uh, era, you know, and uh, now into uh, Gino and Carlos Dunlap and uh, Jesse Bates, Sean Williams, Preston Brown. Hey Jeff, tell me about um, John Ross. He's a local guy. Went to UW. I'm sure Seattle's going to welcome him back with open arms. He had five touchdowns in the red zone last year. Should we expect a little more out of the fastest guy in the NFL? Yeah, I think it's a great match of, uh, again, this is another guy. I, I, I think the Bengals, one of the reasons they went to a, went to a guy like Taylor, a guy kind of in, a, in the, you know, on the cutting edge of the offensive deal in Los Angeles, you know, they've got talent off offense. Let's see it, you know, and a guy like Ross, you know, his rookie year was wiped out because of injury. He struggled with injury last year, too, in his second year. And, of course, he missed all of training camp and most of the preseason this year with a hamstring. So he's just physically he just hasn't been healthy enough to take the next step. But I think he's very excited about uh, about being in this scheme because I think, the, you know, they're going to use, like everybody, they're going to find different ways to use him. And I think John, uh, John can be just as effective horizontally as he can be vertically, you know. And... Uh, you know, I think uh, he's excited about this this new system, and uh, you know he's been working for the last uh, last couple of off seasons with T.J. Hushmanzada, uh, one of the great Bengals of all time. I think let's see, Hush is I think is still uh, 
He's the third or fourth all-time leading receiver in Bengals history, more than 500 catches. And he's really high on John. You know, he thinks uh, once John's healthy, you know, he just thinks because just the way he gets in and out of cuts and he's so fast and he's got good hands and cares about it, good kid. Uh, just I think everybody in Cincinnati is kind of crossing their fingers and hoping this thing comes together for the kid and that he uh, can finally be healthy for a full season. Jeff, I haven't been out to Cincinnati for a game since 1989 playoff game. I always talk about how Boomer Sison was the best play play action guy I've ever played against, and Icky Woods was part of that team, and Anthony Munoz, and you see those guys uh, around much? Yeah, you know that's something about that team. Uh, you know that's back when you know you could only afford one house, you know, and uh, you had to pick a place to live, you know, and Cincinnati was an easy place to pick. Uh, great, uh, great uh, uh, town for families and uh, a lot of, you know, that Super Bowl team that that team you're talking about, you know, I, I, I think one of the, uh, what sums it all up is a couple of years ago, well, it's now several years ago, when uh, Icky Woods' uh, uh, son tragically died of asthma suddenly, Javante. And uh, that team, most of that team, the people, you know, many of those guys still here, they gathered at the hospital uh, to show support for their team. And it had to be 20, 25 guys who uh, settled in the city. So you still see them around. You know, that's the high tide of Bengaldom right there. That 88 club that went over Seattle, the Joe Nash game, uh, you know, the uh, getting uh, winning that game and getting into the AFC Championship game. And, uh, you know, those those folks are still around, and they're revered in this town. Yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, the Joe Nash game you call it, because Joe's a good friend of mine, and, Chuck Knox yes, had a way of slowing down their no huddle offense, and that was by raising the hand. Which... One, one, one of the great players in Boston College history, Jonas. Well, he's one of the great players in Seahawk history, but I'll tell you, in that game, one time I got hit in the stones, and I went down, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, the, and the offensive line was complaining. They were like, now there's two of them faking. And I'm like, no, I'm really hurt. <laughs> the other guy's yeah, right. faking. Yeah. But, yeah, that no, was you our know, – uh... you, know, you know, Sam said, Sam said after that game, you know, it's funny. I was just looking at that. I had, I wrote a book on uh, you know uh, this day in Bengals history, and for December thirty first, that was obviously the game. And the quote from Sam was, "I understand what they were doing. They were perfectly within their rights. They were trying, you know, they were trying to trying to win the game. And uh, you know that nobody really knew how to deal with that. And that was probably yeah. at that time the best way to deal with it. You know, uh, yeah. um, if he could do it, if he could do it, if he could get away with it. I mean, and that's you know." <laughs> Certainly, uh, Sam uh, Sam understood that. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I was also there for the, you don't live in Cleveland. Stop throwing yeah. snowballs oh, yeah. or whatever it was. So, yeah, yeah Sam White. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, yeah. it's always been a week. You know, they've always had, had, whenever they've played Seattle, it's always seemed something significant. Yeah. It was Dave Shula's first game as head coach was in Seattle in 1992. And in 1990, in the kingdom, that was when Sam began his crusade against women in the locker room after that oh, Monday night game. Oh, it's yeah. always something bizarre. So, something will happen. Something will happen Sunday that will be crazy. It'll be a good game. I know that. I think, uh, uh, you know, the Bengals would like to be, you know, would like to play like the Seahawks. To me, it's an AFC North game that's, you know, you know, it's an AFC North game in, at the end of the summer. You know, I mean, both teams want to yeah. run the ball and. You know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of passes thrown. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, hey, we really appreciate it, man. Nice walk down memory lane there, and appreciate you joining us. Thanks a lot. And I'm a, and since I'm from Boston, I'm a Joe Nash guy myself. If you see him, I, tell him I said hello. I'll tell you what, I will tell Joe hi for you, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Yes.
All right, there he goes, Jeff Hobson. Really appreciate him coming on. Coming up next, defensive lineman Quentin Jefferson. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, you're listening to Hawks Live at the Snoqualmie Casino. Dave Wyman and Michael Bumpus. And now we have on the phone defensive lineman Quentin Jefferson. Q, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How you guys doing? Well, we're doing great, man. And uh, some exciting news coming at the end of camp, some surprises, things like that. Uh, how did the preseason go for you? And, uh, and and what was it like with all of the attention and everything that happened with Jadavian Clowney coming into town? Uh, I mean, my preseason, it was, it was pretty good. You know, it was pretty light because, uh, you know, we really didn't play, that, play a lot. I might have played, like, the most, like, two halves. Yeah, but um, you know it was just crazy at the end. <laughs> you guys know we had made a big move, brought in a talented player in Jadavion, and uh, so I'm just excited. We had two practices so far, and uh, you know he's a freak athlete, and so I'm just excited to uh, you know see how the season progresses and see how we all mesh together. So it's gonna be fun. Well, Quentin, let me ask you about you. I just I just still remember you in a Maryland Terrapin uniform and with a beautiful swim move on the inside you can play outside <laughs> tell us about your game man. are you uh you're a very versatile player uh where are you most comfortable playing um you know I'm, I'm most comfortable wherever you know i mean i like playing inside at the three especially during past situations i feel like that's where i'm at my best but uh you know, rundowns, I'm comfortable still like i said being on the outside and being able to uh, you know clog up the holes and uh, set the edge but, uh, you know, I'm just wherever I'm needed, that's where I'm at, you know. So I just try to make plays wherever, you know. Just my biggest attribute is, like I said, accessibility and be able to play up and down the line. So, like I said, that's helped me get on the field. And, you know, I'm just trying to make plays wherever. Hey, Quentin, how you doing? Michael Bumpus. What what goals have you set for yourself this year? This is your fourth year. You're a veteran. Um, you've yeah. seen almost everything this league has to offer. And I'm sure every year guys like yourself find something to get themselves going so what goals and, and what motivates you this season uh man i'm always motivated just like you said from where i came in the league and just where i've my journey even getting to this point and uh like i said this year my biggest thing was just finishing because uh you know last year i feel like i left a lot of plays on the field and i could have finished a lot of plays so uh I man i just want to make those make those plays that come to me you know like i said to be very impactful you know be very disruptive and like i said my whole goal is i want to be one want to be a pro ball caliber player so you know that's where my mindset is and like i said the guys we have around me and in our d line room it's a, it's a i mean it's reality you know we can make a lot of stuff happen i always say this about pro football players because you're talking to two of them albeit it was a long time mm. ago for me, you know, probably before you were born, Quentin. But it, it's kind of a tortured, tortured existence. Like you, you, when you talk about your, you know, your season or whatever, you you have a tendency to, and it's not a negative thing, but you have a tendency to remember the bad things. Like, mm. what? How can I yeah. get better? Oh, I should have had that interception or things like that. And but yet, at the end of you know your career, if I guess if you treat it that way, it uh, you you end up achieving higher goals. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, like I say, you know like yourself, like you said, football players, like you always have to have that edge or just have something to make you have that edge. And that, like right. I said, that's my biggest thing. You know, I might have did some good stuff last year, but I'm like, man, 
shoot, what did I do wrong? And I need to make <laughs> sure I, you know, sharpen, sharpen your toolbox. You know, you have, you have your good tools, you know, but you have those dull tools. And, like, every year you got to find, like I said, what you do, don't do well and just sharpen that, you know, and even make the tools that you're already sharp, make them even sharper, you know. And that was my biggest thing. Like, after every year I sit down and be like, all right, what are my areas that I need to get better at and shoot? Because, like I said, I want to be, like, an overall, just, like I said, just a great player. So I'm just trying to, any way I can make my game good, I, I, I try to. Hey, who is the most competitive in that defensive line room? I know when I was with the Hawks, we would bet and compete on everything. We stand there and throw paper into a oh, into you guys a trash gambling, can. were you? Yeah, Come no, on, we don't do it. never gamble. No, <laughs> <laughs> but who, who's who's the um, most competitive in that room? I think we're all just real competitors at the core. We compete at every everything. It don't matter what it is. Like we're always competing, and I play. That's what makes our room so great. They say you got a bunch of young dudes who just want to make a name for themselves. We're out there scratching, crawling. And like I said, we're competitive with everything, whether it's sacks, wherever, quarterback hits, like, times for loss. Like, we're, we're scrambling to get every single play. Like, we're trying to knock each other off plays. Like, say, but we're just a hungry group. So it's, it's fun playing with all those guys. Well, tell us about some of the personalities in there, Quentin. Uh, um, I know you were probably, uh, you know, pretty tight with Jacob and, and Mingo yeah. and, and guys like that. And it's always tough w- when guys go. But uh, who, who's the biggest clown in the room in the D-line? Oh, man. Uh, who's the biggest clown? I would say it either has to be Jay Reed or, uh, or uh, Brandon Jackson. Those are my guys. Them two Brandon. dudes are they're super funny and they keep the room light. Just keep the energy levels good. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. We have a funny bunch. Like, I was just telling my wife, I was like, man, if they had us on hard knocks, that thing would be hilarious. Cause we just got so many, <laughs> so many personalities and so many fun dudes. Like I said, it just makes the game fun. Like, when we're out there, it's, it's not a job. It's just we're literally just having fun. Do you, do you watch Hard Knocks and, and, you know, wonder what, you know, you obviously have wondered what that would be like if, if you guys were on. Have you watched that show? Yeah, yeah, I've watched it. I haven't watched this last episode, uh, but uh, I've watched uh, everything up to this last episode. And uh, like I said, I know if we're on there, man, it would be so damn funny. <laughs> like I said, just the personalities in the locker room. We got some some funny some funny characters. Man. Hey, did you play any other sports in high school? Uh, I might have. I hooped like my, my like up to my like my ninth grade year. Other than that, like my high school, like it's we we all about football. <laughs> And, like, my coach, we want to literally in the weight room or just doing something football-related year-round. So, like, that's, it was all football <laughs> for the most part. You know, he might be the only NFL player that doesn't brag about his basketball game. <laughs> I was going to ask him because Bobby Wags was, was said – Bobby Wagner said he's the best hooper on the team by far 100%. So I was hoping you said you was a hooper so y'all can get a one-on-one. You can let me know how it went down. Uh, nah, I'll leave it to them. I was, I was a realist. I knew, like, man – Look, if I want to make it to the league, it ain't going to be the NBA league. It's going to be the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> so I was the realist of myself at a young age. Well, Quentin, you mentioned your wife. I know you, you've got kids. Tell us about your family and what that means to you. Oh, man, they mean everything. You see, I had to, I had to come up to the room because they're downstairs. It's like a damn, uh, it's chaotic down here right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my family's fun, man. You know, they put everything in perspective, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, Football is just a game, and the ultimate thing is being a great husband, a great father, so making sure my, my family is everything's good. And uh, like I said, it helps me at the end of the day. You know, I might have a rough practice, but when I come home, you know, my kids don't care. They All they want is their dad and jump for joy and grab me and I'm like a human jungle gym, and you know, my wife loves me up. So, like I said, they, they put everything in perspective. 
Hey, Quinn, how was first day of school? Do, do you guys do the, the pictures? I know I got three kids myself, so my wife <laughs> gets them up, you know, take the first day of school, first grade pictures. Do you guys partake in the first day of school activities? Uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, actually my daughter's first day was uh, yesterday, and my twins, they don't go to school until next week. But, uh, I mean, I actually, well, I, was, I was at practice, but my, do- my wife took, uh, she always uh, takes the pictures and uh, has, like, the little, uh, little like, clipboard, and it says, like, first day and everything. So it was pretty dope. <laughs> Let me tell you, young fathers, just keep taking those pictures because, wait, and I'm not sure, Quentin, do you have girls? Yeah, I have girls. I have three girls. Yeah, <laughs> so when, when that teenage year hits i have my cute little mm. daughter you know smiling beaming and then all of a sudden it gets in those teenage years and it's a snarl on the first day i've been told man why they still love me i'm, I'm taking advantage of that because i heard uh, when they get teenagers uh, they kind of uh, do their own thing <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to look at it hey later on real quick uh so Dwayne Brown is coming on the show. He's going to be playing a video game against one of the guys, Taylor Jacobs, who works at our station. Are you a gamer, Quentin? Or I, I imagine with those kids, man, you probably don't have much time for that. No, I really don't have that much time. When I do play, me and my my daughter, we play the Nintendo Switch. We're either playing like uh, Mario Kart or playing. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen like the uh, the Marvel game. Yeah. The Marvel, uh, Marvel Alliance, and like all the characters, we play that. But I don't really don't play anything else. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, listen, buddy. We wish you the best of luck this year, and uh, just uh, so much enjoyed watching watching you play. And uh, say hi to your family for us, and have a great season, Quentin. I much appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, there he goes, Q. We really appreciate him coming on with us. Coming up next. We got John Clayton. He'll have you all covered all things Seahawks and the NFL as the Professor John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Hawks Live at the Snoqualmie Casino. Michael Bumpus, Dave Wyman. Typically we'll have Paul Moyer here, but oh, he's off in London right now. Can't join us. And, uh, Show starts at 7 o'clock every Thursday night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. you got to come out here. Snoqualmie, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful drive out here. They have an awesome restaurant uh, called Vista, which I believe Mike Salk is bringing us um, weird-looking food <laughs> and wrapped in foil. And right now we have the professor on the phone. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How, uh, how's that game going Oof. there? What's going on around Ugly. the NFL? You know, it ugly. shows you what happens when you don't play your quarterbacks and you don't play your teams uh, in, in in a preseason game. Uh-huh. I mean, the offense for both teams looks horrible. Mitch Trubisky is getting booed. Aaron Rodgers has been sacked like about three times. It's been it's been pretty ugly. Good game for defense, bad game for offense. So what you're telling me, John, is that they need more preseason games. <laughs> <laughs> You know, John. I know you're like you've been kind of been on the whole thing about uh, okay, less preseason games. The preseason's going away, but you know it gives you and I less chance to work for the Seahawks. I mean, I like that, that part yeah. of it. But um, yeah, so uh, not much going on in the NFL today. Oh my! Oh God, no! John. Real yeah. quiet day. Yeah, Antonio Brown, John. I mean, I I just you know, and this is great talk show. You know, radio talk show fodder as far as. Antonio Brown, what would you need? I said if every receiver dropped every ball that Russell threw to them on Sunday, then I would consider maybe bringing in Antonio Brown. But, my gosh, what a nightmare. What's the latest with him? 
Well, the latest is that, uh, you know, he's now waiting to find out if he's going to be suspended. I guess Drew Rosenhaus is going to try to broker something that he doesn't get suspended. But I think that with what happened, with the fact that, I mean, he angrily put out the notice that he was upset about getting fined $53,000 for not showing up at mandatory practice. And so he thought the team hated him. And so then Mike Mayock, the general manager, gets into it with verbally with him, and he threatens to punch him out in the face. And so Montez Verfect had to hold him back. And so now he's put in a position where he could be suspended. The latest now is that uh, he has taken, I guess, uh, the Raiders off his social media profile. He's taken uh, just about everything off of there. Derek so what Carr, you wonder supposedly. about, and I, I go to what Ryan Leaf was uh, tweeting about today, because Ryan, of course, you know how bad he was when he was playing and he had his issues, says, hey, I don't think that Antonio wants to play. And the reason I say that is because I I was in the same way. I acted as badly as he did, and that was my thought. I, was, I just didn't want to play anymore. And so what you wonder about is that if they do suspend him, which I think they will and they should, they should probably come back. And I mean, he may come back and say, I'm not going to play football anymore. And then he'll have to pay back a whole bunch of money. There's $30 million of guarantee that's in his contract that's now going to void if they suspend him. But, you know, it looks like now the Raiders are having to think about getting out of the deal as opposed to being all in. Hey, John, um, the Seahawks have put together an impressive offseason. It's kind of been like a snowball effect. You get rid of Clark, you get a first-rounder, um, you turn four picks into 11 in the draft, you get Ansa, you get Clowney now. Have the Hawks done enough to take over the NFC West in your eyes? I don't know if they can take it over, but there's no question I think they can challenge for the division title, which I don't think was going to be the case before they made the Clowney trade. Because now, I mean, you think about this, and you know, you go back to 2013 when they signed Michael Bennett and they signed Cliff Averill. Well, what they did in getting, uh, you know, Ziggy Ansa and Jazamian Clowney is they actually got, they topped that. And so now they have two pass rushers to go with uh, the best linebacking crew in Pete Carroll's history and a defense now that should be so much better than last year now that they got two pass rushers. And so, and then to make things even better, you think about the idea they traded, you know, Barkevius Mingo, they traded uh, Jacob Martin in a third-round pick. Well, they may have complimented the third-round pick by getting Ja'Kai Polite, a third-round pick of the Jets, who had first-round grades by a lot of the scouts around the league, You know, didn't do well in the combine and all that stuff. I mean, it, what's phenomenal is how they fix things up and how John Snyder's been able to maneuver to make the team deeper and better and now be a team that I think can you know be a top-10 defense. I know I talked to uh, K.J. Wright. He thinks they could be a top five defense with what they have right now oh that's that's nice to hear and speaking of john schneider we're going to talk about his genius moves coming up here in the next segment but uh but for you john how do you think at the end of the year and i asked bump this because of course he's a, a seahawk wide receiver how do you think we're going to be talking about this receiver core is it going to be wow the young guys stepped up you know at the end of the year are we going to be saying yeah they really lived up to uh, what they thought they were or it was a problem how do you see that playing out i see it playing out better than everybody thinks i mean now people want to say hey if brown gets cut sign him you know trade for mike evans all these different things and it's like no this receiving core is really talented they kept seven receivers and you know they have special teams ability they've got speed they've got size they've got just about everything 
everything that you want and just let the young guys grow. I mean, the big thing that made everything right is the fact that Tyler Lockett has now developed into a number one receiver. I mean, he doesn't get the complete credit for it. I know the NFL Network at least gave him some at least acknowledgement by making him a top uh, 100 player at 98. And so that was with 20 other receivers. But I think he's only going to get better. But the big thing is how well these guys work with Russell Wilson. I mean, you can see that DK Metcalf works well with Russell Wilson. You can see Lockett works well. Jaron Reed, Jaron Reed works well. And so all this comes together. I mean, the only thing that's a little crazy in the first couple weeks is that they don't have their third best receiver in David Moore because of the uh, humorous injury. But I think that once he's healthy, this group is fine. John, there's no injury that's humorous. <laughs> there's no humorous injury? Yeah, it's not funny. I agree with that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that joke was not funny. Thank All right, you. Anyway, John, ahead. what do you? How do you see the Melvin Gordon situation ending up? They've doubled. They've offered to double his salary around ten million. He wants to be around thirteen. I think the Eagles were kind of interested for a little bit. Do you see him playing for the Chargers, or do you think he'll end up elsewhere this year? He has no choice but to play for the Chargers because when you look at the big picture, I mean, you know, they offered Jordan Howard, the running back who's making, he's in the third year, he's making 645000 It was a one-for-one deal. And it's like, okay, if you want to give away Gordon, who's been to the Pro Bowl, and go for a good young Pro Bowl talent, and, and how you can do that, but, you know, why would you do that? I mean, you know, in the end, they need Howard, they need Gordon back there. But it's like, they're, they're, there's no team that really wants to pay him the 13 or $14 million and give up value. Eagles are willing to do it because it's an upgrade over Jordan Howard. But in the end, I mean, all he's doing is losing money by holding out. I mean, you saw Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he was able to get his deal done at 15. And by the way, on that deal, you know, and it was just like I thought it was going to happen. You know, because they were all saying $45 million guaranteed. No, it was only $24 million guaranteed. And so it was less than double the average. And so, uh, you know. Uh, the Cowboys were able to give him the average while they got the guarantees. All right, John, give us a uh, give us a long shot sleeper pick as far as performance goes for the Seahawks this year. Uh, I said today, you know, Michael Kendricks, and he's not a sleeper pick because I mean he's a really good player, but you know, double digit sacks for yeah. him. Puna Ford, uh, who, who's a guy that you look that uh, maybe not a mainline guy that you think is going to really perform well this year? Uh, you'd have to go with Puna Ford because he gets such rave reviews by his team, what we've seen in practice and what we've seen a little bit in some of the games. I mean, I think this is a guy that can really come on because now he's in his second year. He plays so low to the ground and is a, is a problem. I know the comparison league-wide is that he kind of reminds you of Jarrell Casey, the Pro Bowl mm. defensive tackle out of the Tennessee Titans. And if he can play to that level or even close to that level, he's going to be the breakout guy. And if he can, I mean, think about about what this defensive line looks like because now after six weeks they'll get uh, Jaron Reed back I mean Al Woods has been a starter started eight games last year for the Colts I mean this line can be really really good and if Ford's the one that can come on this could put everything over the top yeah you know it's funny I talked to uh, Pete about that we all talked to him and asked him for a comparison he said maybe Brandon Meebane too mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting with Puna Ford. He's going to be fun to watch. All right, John, we really appreciate you coming on with us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. There he goes, the Professor John Clayton. Coming up next, we'll talk about the genius of John Schneider, and we'll dive into some of the, the trades that he made and why he deserves to be GM of the year this year more than ever. That's next, right here on Hawks Live. <laughs> 